Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel, and today we have a very special guest with us in Mr. Sean Dwyer of Golden Oak REI. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the world to me. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Sean Dwyer has 19 years experience as a tech executive for a Fortune Top 30 corporation. Sean currently owns one mobile home park in Maryland, that's 87 lots, that he just bought back in September of 2022. So we're really excited to dive in today, Sean, and learn about your first mobile home park and your path into mobile home park number one. Would you mind starting out and telling us about your story and how you got into mobile home park investing? Sure. So for me, it got started back in 2020, as soon as COVID hit. So you know, over the course of my executive career with a Fortune Top 30 company, I've seen the stock market crash 30% over a couple big times. The first one really didn't matter to me because I still had a long time before I was ready to retire. But the one for COVID hit pretty home, right? So if stock market crashes 30%, I'm ready to retire a week right before or like right after that, you know, what's going to happen to my retirement fund? So I said, okay, I need to start looking at something a little bit different. So during COVID, at least I had a lot more free time because I wasn't necessarily traveling to the office. So I had more time in nights, weekends, since we weren't hanging out with friends and family, I had a lot more time on my hands. So I dove and deep dive into a lot of different books and a lot of different podcasts. I was really trying to figure out what that next phase of my investing career was going to be like. It's been 401k, like small little townhomes, condos, when I looked at like how much it would take to scale just a single family portfolio, it was going to be a while. So like most folks getting started in this space, I first started listening to Kevin Bupp's podcast from years ago, back in 2017, 2018, plowed through all of them pretty quick. And mobile home communities just seem to make a lot of sense to me. Self-storage facilities are great. RV communities are great. Apartments are great. But when you look at the affordable housing crisis that we have in this country, you know, where else can you live for four to $500 per month, which typically include water, sewer, and trash? There really aren't many options that are out there. So this asset class just made a ton of sense, not only from the investing perspective, what you could get for interest rates, but also just helping low-income folks just find a nice, affordable place to live. That's fantastic. And so was that like the first place you found mobile home parks was like on a podcast or was it a book or what did you pick up that was like, okay, this is interesting? I think I did a Google search and just said, you know, what sort of other opportunities are out there for retirement? Real estate came up, single family homes, and then just started hearing a little bit more about mobile home communities. So I started diving into that asset class. I bought a couple of different books that were out there at the time. There really wasn't much literature. So a lot of it just came from, from podcasts like yourself that I started to dive into many, many years ago as well. That's fantastic. So you spent 19 years as a tech executive. You know, how did your time in that role shape how you're currently managing, operating, investing in mobile home parks? Sure. So as a leader of large organizations that have 40 or so people reporting to me, I can't do every job 
that is enacted on my team, right? So I have to learn how to, to delegate. What are the systems? What are the processes? What are the automations that we could use? What are the KPIs that we need to take a look at? So when I hear people that are in the mobile home community space that come from various backgrounds, you know, their challenge is you know, when they get like five or 10 parks, how do they start to scale? For me, I know that part. <laughs> For me, it was just, how do I get into the industry? How do I buy my first one or two or three? From there, I have an understanding on how to scale, how to leverage people, how to leverage automation and technology to take myself to that next level. Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, the background, right? It just like, it just doesn't fully add up, right? I think like it's like tech exec turn, <laughs> you know, trailer park investor, right? Sure. So, like, did the stigma like scare you at all? I mean, did, did you have some some negative feedback from anybody or, you know, because even I had negative feedback, right? Like, my dad, I'll never forget. He was like, Andrew, you know, you're really, you know, going after it here. Are you sure this is the best fit, you know, investing in trailers? You know, did that scare you at all? Yeah, 100%. You know, I had feedback from my wife, my friends, my family. Obviously, during COVID, they're like, are you okay? Do you have COVID? Is it some sort of reaction that you're having? It's like, no, no, here's the reasons why. And I just broke it down for them. And they're like, yeah, I don't get it. Now, those same people are asking me, you know, how can I start investing with you? Because I start telling them the returns that we have, what we're doing for upkeep in the community, putting in brand new driveways, doing landscaping, bringing in brand new homes, helping people clean up their lots, doing community activity days where we you know, declutter the, the stuff in the back of the house, which you don't normally see if you're not doing inspections on their lots. So we're making the community much nicer than it was when we first bought it. And it's so rewarding. And I think like when you tell someone that, for whatever reason, it just doesn't land well. But we we just did a video. We had like a video crew come out and, and capture like some of our infill and, and just some of the value add projects that we had going on in one of our recent acquisitions. And I posted it on Facebook and my neighbor saw it. And, you know, we had in passing just talked about what I do and, and you know, kind of got weird, weird looks after I said I, I invest in mobile home parks. Uh, but just yesterday she came up and she said, Hey, I saw that video of what you guys are doing in Nebraska. You know, Hey, can I get some information on investing? You know, cause it's when you see it in action, you see the homes being put on the lots, you see the utility hookups and, you know, just cleaning up the community, new signage, new fencing. It's just, it's so rewarding, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. a win-win. So that's awesome. Well, Sean, tell us about your first park. How'd you find it? You know, how'd you put the deal together? would love to know about that because the first park is always the toughest one to buy. Yeah. So for me, it took almost two years from getting started to first starting with that mentorship program. I was working with Ryan and Ian over at our community group. So working with them as part of their mentorship program, just developing that database. How do you cold call? How do you, you know, talk to folks? How do you visit them at you know nights, weekends, drive through parks? How do you build that relationship? So for me, it took a little over two years. And believe it or not, this was the first community that I ever drove through that was a mobile home community. So connected with the owner one time, uh, he said, hey, did you, you know, I'm interested in buying your community, started talking with him for a little while. He's like, have you visited? I said, no, I haven't been through it, but I've seen Google fly over for it. I said, it looks beautiful, nice layouts. They all look like they're nice double wides. He's like, when you visit it, call me back. So I said, all right. So Saturday morning, I woke up at 4 a.m., Took about three hours to get down there. So just as the sunrise was coming up, threw on my camera, drove through the community just to prove that I took pictures and was actually there just in case he asked. So drove through it, got a bunch of video for it, went back home, called him later that afternoon, said, hey, just drove through it. Looks like an amazing park. 
you know, what are you looking to get for it? Unfortunately, he was looking for a pretty high price versus what the lot rent was at that time. Still kept in contact with him over the course of those, you know, year and a half, two years. And, you know, a couple of years later, he's like, yep, still ready to sell. Here's my price. He was able to do a couple lot rent increases over the course of those two years. And now it finally made sense. So uh, made him an offer, accepted, and then closed just a few months later. That's fantastic. Wow. So your first, your first mobile home park, you've owned it for just over a year. You know, what has been some of the like toughest hurdles that, you know, you've faced with your first park? Sure. So for myself, I did a partnership with a very experienced operator, Julio Jaramillo out of Evergreen. So with his 30 years of experience, I believe that I mitigated a bunch of roadblocks and hurdles that I would have had to overcome if it wasn't for him. Uh, outside of that, it's honestly for me was just a lot of learning for the first year, just going from you know, basic understanding of how communities operate to starting to develop the lease, handing those out, communications to customers, getting used to just the online portals, all the various reports and how to take checks and process checks. It's just something I've never done in my entire life, but he's helped me a ton with mitigating some of those roadblocks and just understanding how to run essentially a giant community. Yeah. And you're managing it yourself? We have an on-site manager. So she assists with a lot of the day-to-day activities, uh, do a lot of the bookkeeping, processing of, of checks, you know, contractor invoicing, uh, working on the rent collections, any issues that we're having. So she's fully on site. And then for times during the day, I'm you know, working my full-time W-2 job. Uh, we also have Julio's team, which she can reach out to if she has any questions during you know, normal business hours. That's awesome. So you're still working your W-2 job. This is on the side. Very smart. 100%. That is awesome. That is really cool. So what's the, what's next? You know, you got your first park. Is it, you know, have you worked out all the kinks? Are you looking to expand or are you kind of taking your time? Yeah. So for us, we had five vacant lots. So we're infilling those now, as you know, that is a challenge to find some really great contractors. We have some great contractors, but it's just, honestly, it's lining them up to when they can come. As you know, with mobile home parks, not not all the utilities aren't necessarily always marked of where they actually are. So we've had a couple challenges with that. So we're, we're fixing some street lights now. Uh, unfortunately, cut some of, some of those electrical lines when they weren't marked. It's better to uh, cut those than to hit a gas line because that happened when we were installing a fence. You know, we had a big auger down and blew a gas line. You start smelling it everywhere. That was stressful. I had to call like, we had to call the fire department, get them out there. Yeah. I, that almost happened with our water lines. So yeah, the... <laughs> It was, it was close. We were about six to seven feet off from where the propane lines were marked from the company versus where they actually were. So that one we got pretty lucky with. The water and sewer lines from the previous owner, the guy who built it, they're six feet down. Six feet. So normally, all the contractors in the area say they're you know, max 18, 24 inches. These ones are six feet. They don't have backhoes that were deep enough that could actually hit the water lines and sewer lines where this guy actually had them. So that's been a good experience. I mean, it's actually good, you know, from a, from a, uh, you know, thermal, you know, temperature standpoint, we have parks in Northern Minnesota and they're 10 feet down. So wow. it's really expensive when we want to get a, a main line fixed, you know, and you have to, or even a riser, you have to like completely dig all the way down sometimes yep. by hand if it's like in a weird spot. So yeah, it, yeah, that's interesting. So I guess with your first park and really with any of the parks that you're looking to buy, you know, what is your strategy? You know, this one, I think you said it was 85, 86 lots. 
87 total sites. There's 86 mobile homes and then a single family home up front. So 87 total. Okay. And is this a stabilized? And you said there's a little bit of infill where rents, he, you know, you said the seller just bumped those. Is there room to move those more? What's yeah, there the, is. What's the play? Yeah. So when we first took it over, where we were at that time, we were $75 under market lot rent at that time. Uh, today, once January 1st hits, we will be, we'll still be about $80 under market for what the other communities are in the area. And we're, we're probably second nicest out of seven or eight different communities that are pretty close to it. That's great. You said it's like all majority double wides? All double wides. There's maybe four single wides that are in there. Uh, we have double wides that we're moving in today. Uh, we're, we have them listed and ready for sale. Uh, so yeah, soon once those get sold off, uh, we'll be 100% full. Very cool. So, so moving forward, are you looking at more stabilized deals like this that just need a couple homes to be infilled? Are you looking at heavy value add deals? Yeah, I think that's where the strategy. Oh, obviously, you got your W two job. What's the plan there? Yeah, that's where the strategy changed a little bit. So when I first got started, it was just shotgun approach. Like I just need to find one. I just need to find one. It was like a squirrel looking for something. And now that sure. owned it for the time. Yeah, I don't have that opportunity. I don't have that time, that 40 hours, 80 hours a week that I can spend on infill and sitting on top of contractors and making sure that everything is lining up. Uh, so for, for myself, it's looking for more of those stabilized deals with a little bit of value add capability, whether it be rent increases, utility buildbacks, moving in some additional homes, doing some upgrades. They're the properties that I'm currently looking for. So it minimizes the scope of you know, who I have to co-call market network with. So it's really helped streamline my focus for the next couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's a great approach. And then I assume that this park is on public utilities, city water, city sewer. It is on well water, public sewer. Well water. Okay. Yeah. What were your, what were your hurdles there? You know, learning that, that private utility, you know, were you, I mean, obviously you had coaching with Ryan and Ian who are, are great guide, you know, great people to, man it you know help work with but did you have yeah. a learning curve there because i sure did uh for me uh, i live out here in pennsylvania so we have septic systems and i'm on well water personally so i'm very familiar with the systems and how they work and operate uh, the only little education piece that i needed is just all the testing that is required from at least states up here in the mid-atlantic so pennsylvania is very heavy on testing and so is maryland so on a daily basis we have to make sure that certain levels like chlorine levels within the water, everything's good, everything's clean, our pressure's solid. And we also have monthly, quarterly, and yearly type testing that is mandated by the state to make sure the drinking water is safe for all the residents. That's great. And you have a licensed well operator that has to go out there occasionally. Is it weekly? Every day. <laughs> Every day they have to go there. Okay. Every day. Okay. Very nice. Yeah, we're looking at a property with a well right now, but that would be like our second one. And they, you know, I think they kind of get a bad rap because, you know, there's daily testing and all those requirements. But, uh, you know, I think our expense ratio on our one that we have now is not that much higher than our public utility parks. It's just, you know, a little extra management to make sure that the operator actually gets out there. So, um, yeah, the only challenge with wells is you have to make sure that you keep your electricity on. No electricity, no water. Yeah. Yeah. In Ohio, where our other well is, they had like a program that if you get a, um, if you get a generator put in, which I think costs like $20,000, they'll fund $10,000 of the wow. cost. So they'll like cover half of it, which was huge, you know, but it had to be like for like a community, um, you know, community water system. And it was like a grant. So 
we got Thanks. that, which was great. But yeah, I mean, if you if you lose power in a bad storm or something, that could you know put you in a tight spot. What, what's the plan there if that happens? Do you have a backup plan? <clears throat> yeah, luckily you know, we checked with water operator ahead of time as well as the power company and the community in the area very infrequently lose power. So as of right now, there is not much risk that we're seeing for losing power in that area. That's good. Yeah, hope hope that doesn't happen. If it does happen, do you have to like? you know, get everybody, you know, five gallon, you know, fill up their tubs and get them five gallons, you know, bottles of water. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of things you could do. You could bring in a portable generator, hook it up. Yeah, uh, you'd have to have from, uh, like gasoline, diesel fuel, depending on what it runs off of, just to make sure it's running 24 by seven until electric company gets everything up and operational. But that would be the backup plan. Cool. Sean, what mistakes have you made, you know, with this first park that our listeners can learn from? Yeah. So for me, like I said, uh, Julio helped to mitigate a lot of the risks up front. For me, just the, the learning that I had for it was just the intense amount of time it takes to do infill, right? So the permitting process for lots that were already approved to be within the community, it took two months to get them back from the county for sites that were already approved upon just for them to get you know, five, 10, 15 signatures as part of the, the county, state, township, water, environmental departments two months from start to finish. So that was a little bit of a surprise and a wake up call for me. Yeah. Now infill can be cumbersome, you know, and every little municipality does it a little bit different with their inspections required and everything. And, and some communities don't like mobile home parks, so they make it extra hard, you know, and extra yeah. lengthy. So that's good. So that was the only thing is just the, the length of time for infill. There was no other mistakes on your, your first deal. Not mistakes. No. Uh, the other challenge has just been finding contractors, even calling people. We're, we're doing phased installs of new asphalt driveways for the whole community. Mm. I called say five or 10 different companies. Half of them never even call me back for quotes. And that's almost 90 driveways that we're trying to do and install. They even call me back. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think it's a market thing or you think it's just that type of contractor is busy? Um, it could be a little bit of both. It could be a stigma, just working in mobile home communities and not wanting to do the work or not thinking that we're going to give them a fair price for the work that they're doing. I have no idea. But yeah, it's been a challenge. Uh, also working with the county to do the expansion up front. The, we have two or three acres that we're working on up there. So just over, overcoming some of the hurdles and challenges with that, since we are on the public sewer system, uh, apparently the sewer system is at capacity. So even even though we're trying to provide an additional, say, four to seven homes of affordable housing, uh, Township is telling us they're tapped out on sewer. So our other option is potentially septic. Hmm. Uh, but according to the rules and regulations for the county, you have to have an acre of property per septic system for home that you want to install, which... Hmm for at least new mobile home communities is essentially regulating them out of never being built. So it's unfortunate. Jeez, that really is. Wow. Yeah. Cause I think you can fit, you know, at least 10 mobile homes on an acre, you know, and have <laughs> decent spacing. So it's, yeah, it's crazy. You need that much for one home. Yeah. This community that we have here from, for most homes from the street over to the front of the home is 35 feet. So they're, they're big front yards, just nice distance on the sides big, long driveways. So it's a nicely laid out community. Very cool. Sean, what advice do you have for listeners out there that are looking for their first park? And, you know, what things do you think you did right? What things do you think you could do better? You know, because obviously that, that first park, even for myself, it took me 18 months from the time I was like, all right, I want to buy a park to the time it actually happened. What yeah. advice do you have for, for those listeners? 
Yeah, it takes a ton of time. So if you're underwriting properties, whether you're GP or potentially an LP, for me, it's all about the affordability of the housing. So apartment buildings, you're concerned about you know, your rents and you know who's getting what in the area, what your supply looks like. But for mobile home communities, you have multifaceted of what you're looking at. It's not only apartment and apartment rent, it's single family home, it's town home, it's new construction, it's other mobile home communities, it's job infill and population growth. So there's more factors, at least I think, on the mobile home community side. You know, we look at properties that are in, say, deep central Pennsylvania, northwest part of the state, and the pricing on the community looks great. It looks like a good opportunity. But when you look at what someone could buy, a single family home, or even potentially even a smaller town home that's brand new, when you start including the lot rent plus the, the cost of the home, whether it be new or used, uh, it almost pushes the mobile home community up above some of those other housing options. So you have to make sure you do your due diligence that it actually makes sense for what the business plan is from that specific operator. And what would that number be? You know, a lot of operators say median home price above a hundred thousand, you know, what is it for you? I would say even higher. I would look at like 150, 175. Yeah. I think all of our better markets that have a median home price above 150 or even above 200 are like the best markets. You have more room for, for rents to, to grow uh, because just because of that spread, right? You know, the affordability factor is real. You know, your service workers, you know, where are they gonna where are they gonna live? Yeah, especially with the interest rates where they are today. And you start looking at what that lot rent is costing folks, and then with brand new homes, single wide, double wides coming in, plus all the cost due setups, you're talking maybe one fifty to two hundred thousand dollars of what somebody could be spending for a townhome or a single family home in that same market. So if you're overpricing or even some of GPs that are pretty aggressive on some of their, their rate hikes uh, and lot rate increases very, very quickly, you're almost like a football term, you're almost out kicking your coverage. So you're almost going way beyond what folks could do for infill for that particular community in that particular area. So if you think that you're going to get this massive price value just because your lot rents are high and you're 75% full, the person that's going to be purchasing that and doing a lot of the hard operations to get new homes in they're not going to find people to come in there because you outkicked the coverage, you outkicked that what that area can support for lot rent plus new home. Yeah, I just read this huge article talking about how it in most markets it makes sense right now to rent over owner over home ownership because it's just so expensive. You know, if you add in repairs and maintenance and and what that's going to yeah. add up to. So yeah, I think a lot of operators you know are are moving to like renting out their new home inventory that they're bringing in because it's it's harder to get people to qualify to, to buy homes, but obviously it's very market specific. Well, Sean, how did you put this deal together? Did you use your own money? Did you raise money from limited partners? Uh, what did that look like? Sure. So uh, this particular one we had was a loan assumption. So that was another area that I got to experience and, and learn a little bit more about. Uh, so the, we have a fixed interest rate 4.2% for the next you know eight or nine years. And we did a capital raise for you know my friends and family that were interested and wanted to you know jump off the cliff with me. Uh, they're very happy, very pleased with what they're currently getting for quarterly distributions, what we're doing to the community, and overall value add versus what they've gotten in their 401k and stock market with other funds that they've had. Uh, so for myself and my business partner, like I said, he's been in the industry 30 plus years. I said, here's how much I think I can get to the table. He said, okay. He sent out like four or five emails, not four or five blast email distributions, four or five emails to four or five people and raised like 800K within a couple of minutes. So that's the power of experience, 
Yeah, no, I think you, that was smart, you know, and that's another tip for investors looking to get their first deal is, hey, partner with a bigger operator that has a management team and, and has done this multiple times before. I, you know, that was really smart. Instead of trying to like struggle through your first deal, there would have been a lot more mistakes, right? If you didn't yeah. bring in a bigger operator. So that was, uh, that was smart. Yeah, um, now the great part is, you know, having interviews like this with yourself and just talking with more friends, more family, that's those base investors that I have, you know, they're spreading the the knowledge and information on what they're doing to their friends and family. So now I have more people just reaching out to me. So I'll be able to bring more to the table for the next deals that we find. Yeah. The first one's always the hardest, right? Like you gotta, you know, you gotta convince people that you're, you're not going to light the park on fire or something, <laughs> but the next one, after they see you've done it, you know, you have a track record now and it's a little bit easier. So that's yeah, awesome. It's not, a, it's not a Ponzi scheme. I'm not going to run over to <laughs> The Bahamas with your, you know, $50,000 investment. And it, it still gives me like a little bit of angst just doing wiring money. That's, I don't know, just me personally, I'm always just double, triple checking the wiring instructions. Always tell people, you know, if you're investing with me, please reach out to me. If you see an email coming across about wiring instructions, just call me, text me, yeah, let me know. Yeah. We'll double check through all the numbers. So. That's awesome. What do you think, you know, as a passive investor, what do you think are the most important things knowing what you know now? that like they should look out for before investing into a syndication deal like yours? Yeah, so three things come to mind. One, know the operator, know their experience, know that they've had some cycles go through for not only economic cycles, but also purchasing, refi, sales of properties. Uh, ask them some of the tough questions on you know what we're currently seeing in some of the apartment space and what's being forecast out over the next 12 to 18 months. You know, how are they mitigating some of those potential issues with rates and interest rate hikes? Uh, what are they, capital calls doing, uh, if any operators have ever had any of those. So make sure you know the operators, one. Uh, know the area that the community's in. Do your due diligence to understand what that area looks like for not only growth, jobs, but what, what sort of housing options are out there for folks. Yeah, and they can do all of that, you know, five, 10 minutes. You know, Best Places is a good website. Citydata.com is another one. So yeah. yeah, that's great advice. Oh, and the last one, look at the debt that they have on the property and see if that matches the business plan. So if they're telling you that they're going to do a major cash out refi in a couple of years, you know, look and see what the, the terms are for that particular loan that they're getting for that property. Yeah. That's a good, good, good tip there. What does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes, Sean, knowing what you know now? Yeah, this is unfortunate because I found, I found a unicorn property during the first two years and I didn't even know it. Uh, it was a 78 space community that was pretty close to me, uh, drove through it. I didn't have a lot of experience at the time driving through communities. I was like, oh, this looks pretty nice. It was all double wide community, 78 spaces. There was no skirting within the community. They were all in cinder blocks. So it looked mm -hmm. beautiful. Uh, public sewer, public water, direct build, dedicated roads. And lot rent was, if I'm not mistaken, 350 at the time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, a great white buffalo, man. That's that's awesome. Did Found it. End up selling? Did someone else buy it? Someone else bought it. I had it verbal under contract with the owner, and then someone swooped in last minute and offered about thirty percent more than we had a verbal offer with the owner at the time. So he oh, wanted man. about fifty uh, k per pad. We said, okay, this makes sense. This works. Started, you know, finalizing, get trying to get him to sign the LOI just to have that first step in the agreement so we can start the PSA process. And someone came in, swooped in, and offered him 30% more. So 
um, super close. That would have been my first park, but you know, we learned from that experience that don't let those opportunities go to waste. If you do have something that comes and it's a unicorn, make sure you got a net and bring it in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a great tip there. Time kills deals. And yeah, sometimes it's like, all right, <laughs> what do we have to do here? Right. To get over the finish line. We just flew out to a property to like meet with the owner in person before we had it under contract, just because those unicorn type of deals are few and far between right now. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious your thoughts and what you're seeing. I know you're actively looking at deals. It's November, 2023. Interest rates are pretty high right now. I mean, we're quoting out deals right now and getting 8% interest rates on average. What does your pipeline look like? What are you looking for in, in deals that you're underwriting? Yeah, so we're looking specifically in the Mid-Atlantic area. <clears throat> like I mentioned before, small value adds, you know, lot rate increases, potentially utility billbacks, doing a little bit of infill. So ideally it would be like 90-ish percent occupancy or higher. Uh, and really just in the strong Mid-Atlantic markets from the southeast corner of Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, Northern Virginia areas is where I'm primarily looking right now. So for me, sourcing deals off market with direct to owner, as well as looking at broker opportunities. Nice. Yeah. You and UMH are competing then, right? <laughs> they do, do have some nice parks here locally to me. I, they're a pretty good operator from what I can tell. Yeah. They're a big REIT operator. So they probably have a, a lower cost of capital than, than you and I, right, Sean? Slightly. But... Yeah. Sean, what do you think is the biggest threat to mobile home park investing? A couple things. I think doing lot rent increases above what is reasonable for the market could potentially hurt this industry in the long term, uh, not only for the residents that are currently living there, but also good operators like yourself that you know do lot rate increases, 20, 25, $30 a year, and just slowly up that in, uh, income that you have coming in, but also provide great value for folks. I see a, a lot of communities that I drive through where certain groups buy them, jack up the lot rents, but don't necessarily give back to the community to make it a better place to live. It's just lot rent increase, lot rent increase, lot rent increase. You don't see the the value for your customers, ultimately the residents of what you're bringing back to them. Yeah, right. Because it'll bring regulation, right? Bring rent control, potentially bring other rules on, you know, like I think in Illinois, you, you can only raise rents once every two years and there's limits on it. So yeah, I agree. You don't, you don't want to be that guy that's just, just jacking up rents and that's how you're getting a deal to pencil out. And unfortunately, there's some some bad actors out there. I just saw a huge article on a, in like the Wall Street Journal on, on someone that did that. And you don't want to end up on the front page of the paper. You know, that's not a good look. No, good it's look. okay for the right reason, but definitely not that reason. Yeah. Sean, what's one last bit of information, you know, or important advice you would give an interested passive mobile home park investor you know, that's familiar with like apartment syndications, uh, but are just interested in getting into a mobile home park deal, what, what would you tell them before we sign off? Yeah, uh, honestly, educate yourself as much as you can. Listen to as many mobile home podcasts that are out there. Listen to some of the experienced syndicators. Uh, they have a wealth of knowledge. Read as many books as you can. There's a couple of really great books in the mobile home space uh, that could add a ton of value. So just you understand the asset class a little bit more. That way you can poke holes in any of the performance or at least what you're hearing from the operators on what their business plan is. What are those books so we could share with the, the listeners? I have a couple that are in my closet. I'd have to go grab them. Uh, but um, Glenn... Glenn Esterson uh, has one. Uh, his, yeah. MHP book was awesome. 
Yep. MHP expert was one. And then there was another one that I had. I don't remember the individual's name is when it was right before his book came out. Uh, but that one was a, a really good one as well. But I think Glenn's was a little bit better. was a little bit more detailed and had a ton of great information. The one that I read was by Jamie Smith and it was called uh, trailer cash. And okay. that was another really good one, but that's an older one. Now I'm sure a lot of things have changed, but that was a, another book. Um, but we can put the link to that in the, in the show notes. Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It was good, good chatting and learning about your story. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If our listeners would like to get a hold of you, Sean, what's the best way for them to do so? Sure. Best way is to go to my website, goldenoakrei.com. Has all my information, ton of great articles, podcasts that I've been on. So go visit goldenoakrei.com. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. And that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over a hundred five-star reviews by the end of 2021. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.